Hello, and welcome to the new Mission Career Transition podcast. I'm your host, Chris Caprellian, and I'm joined by my co-host, sister, and talent management pro, Alexandra Caprellian. We interview service members that transition to new careers, DOD representatives, and civilian HR professionals to provide you with lessons learned you won't get in a transition class and to help you transition with confidence. Our guest today is Sultan Camp, director of the Hampton Roads Veterans Employment Centers in association with the Hampton Roads Workforce Council. In this episode, Sultan tells us about his career and lessons learned in HR and supporting service member and spouse transitions, how to leverage social media to grow your professional network, the mistakes service members make when transitioning, how the Hampton Roads Veterans Employment Centers create forums for warm introductions with local recruiters, and much more. Sultan Camp, welcome to the show. Happy to be here, Chris. Excited for today's conversation. I'm definitely excited to have you on. You're the first guest that has extensive HR experience, extensive experience helping veterans and those that are in the military getting ready to transition do so effectively and do so with confidence, particularly in the Hampton Roads area. So to start off this episode, I'd like you to give the listeners an idea of where you came from, how you entered military service, and maybe a a brief overview of your military service. Gotcha, Chris. So uh, born in Camden, New Jersey, and my my dad married a young lady uh, who uh, originated from Trinidad. So he made the wise decision when I was still a young pup to uh, to have me grow up down there. Uh, so as, as you can imagine, Chris, it was pretty hard growing up in sunshine, uh, beaches, and white sand um, throughout my formative years. Yeah, that's that's a tough <laughs> life. <laughs> I know, right? So did that and, um, you know, came to the point, obviously, graduating high school, what was next? And ironically, you know, I didn't want to go straight on to college because I was at that time tired of school. So looked at the military as an option uh, and more so the Navy. So actually, I was actually thinking about joining the the Army first, Chris. And, and it so happened that I showed up early to the recruiting station. The Navy guy was there and and, you know, he said, so what are you doing, man? I'm like, well, I'm waiting to join the army. And he said, why'd you want to do that? And literally uh, frisked me away down to the map station and the rest is history. That's how I became a sailor, sailor instead of a soldier and uh, became a sonar technician. Uh, you know, my initial thought, Chris, as I mentioned, was join the Navy, see the world, avoid school for a little bit. Well, the Navy saw it differently and promptly sent me to school for the next two and a half years. You were a sonar technician? That is correct. On the surface side of the house. So uh, when they handed me the job card, Chris, uh, they actually handed me this submarine sonar technician job card. Uh, it was the same job card, but it was flipped. And I read through the thing and I, and I literally flipped it over and saw the identical write-up. Well, I asked the, uh, the rating officer, I said, hey, listen, what's the difference between an STG and an STS, which is what they handed me? He said, well, if you're an STG, you don't get the $5,000 signing bonus. I said, well, why is that? It's the same job. He said, well, you don't get to go on a submarine. So as you can imagine, promptly, I said, well, let's talk about not getting that $5,000 and living life above the water. 
so that was how I, I literally became a, a, um, an SDG, uh, had a wonderful career and, um, you know, was fortunate enough to have duty stations and commission new ships in San Diego, Hawaii, and then ultimately in Northern Virginia. Yeah, I noticed the timing and I, I checked out your LinkedIn profile, very impressive. Um, but I noticed that you had uh, something not on, I don't think all sailors get this opportunity, but you were on the maiden voyage of the USS Lake Erie and the USS Statham. Um, mm-hmm. and, yes. and they were mm-hmm. brand spanking new. I'm wondering what it's like being a sonar technician on a, on two new ships on their maiden voyage. Is that a blessing or is that po- does it pose difficulties like you're figuring out all the problems with the ship? Ah, uh, I think you were stationed with me there, Chris. Um, so <laughs> I would say the so the, so there were the, you know when when you take a hold of a a new ship like that, the Navy refers to it as you're a plank owner, and literally you get a plank, a wooden plank, uh, commemorating that that duty assignment. Uh, but to your point, right? So you take uh, a custody of what is supposed to be a brand new ship, but as you know, with your car, there are always bugs that need to be worked out. And as you can imagine, when you set sail out to sea, you don't have a Home Depot floating next to you. So you have to work those bugs out uh, by yourself. So it is a blessing and a curse uh, while you're going through that process. You know, you're like, what the heck did I get myself into? But when you do your first deployment or after you transfer off of that ship, you can look back and say, wow, you know what? That was a really rewarding tour. And I'm sure it it definitely challenges you to think outside the box, and it's up to you. After those assignments, I mean, what were some of the last assignments you did while you were in the Navy? So a few of the last assignments that I did, um, so my first roughly six to seven years, obviously you mentioned it, uh, those pre-commissioning units, the Steedham and, and the USS Lake Erie, I had an instructor tour that I did out there in San Diego. Uh, got to the point in my career where the the real estate prices kind of outstripped my military pay, so make the decision to come to the East Coast. That's how I came to Norfolk. Uh, did a Spruance destroyer called the USS Haler uh, out here, and then uh, went back to school in San Diego. Came back, came back out here, served on board USS Donald Cook. And then my last two assignments were at a combination active duty and reserve component unit. So that was my first time really working with reservists who were full-time support and traditional reserves. Uh, my last tour of duty was out there at the Damneck base at the uh, Naval Oceanographic Processing Facility out there at Damneck. At what point in time did you mentally decide that you were going to exit the Navy and transition into a civilian career? <laughs> So I have to laugh when I, when I answer that, Chris, because uh, there were there were two major milestones. Um, you know, I joined the Navy when I was 17, and at my 10-year mark, um, like a lot of us do, really was at a crossroads. Do I stay in and do the 20, or do I get out at my 10-year mark? And I, you know, I'm quite fortunate. Uh, my dad was a twin. And his daughter is kind of like my big sister, not not my dad's daughter, but um, my uncle's daughter. Uh, we're kind of like, you know, she's my big sister. She's got about like maybe about 15 years uh, my senior. Well, she asked me the question, Chris, uh, how old will you could, how old will you be when you can retire? 
And I was 27 at the time and 37, you know, to, to the average person seems like it's just eons away. But she literally popped me on the back of the head, Chris, and said, do the 10 years. Trust me on this. You won't regret it. So that was the first time that I really thought about transitioning. So I, I delayed that decision for another five years. Uh, at my 15-year mark, um, that's when I made the conscious decision. I said, listen, you know what? Um, great, but I can retire when I'm 37. What's next? So the answer to that question is that at my 15-year mark, no matter what happened professionally within the uniform, I knew that I was going to get out at my 20-year mark. And did you understand or did you have a vision for maybe what you wanted to pursue after your military career? What, and what kind of actions did you implement for your transition? Right. So that's, what, that's the decision that a lot of us struggle with, Chris, is, okay, I've done a full career, what's next? Um, the good thing is that, yes, literally you can do anything that you want, but you can't do anything that you want and get paid the way you think you need to be paid to do that. Uh, so for me, I went to the, the TAP program at my 15-year mark. I did go at my 10-year mark as well. But that's going through that program, I was able to identify, hey, you know what? I had a really good experience doing my instructor tour. And then the next question became, teach what? So when I went to TAP, I became familiar with an organization uh, used to be known as the American Society for Training and Development. Now it is the American, Soci American uh, Society for Talent Development. Uh, so I started networking with civilian trainers in the industry and started kind of learning about what they do and so forth. But I made the decision, Chris, to go to TAP two other times before I got out. And it was at my 17-year mark where when I went to TAP, the, the, the light bulb kind of went on because sitting through the workshop, I really realized that helping this, this whole job search and career development thing, I could do it like all day, every day. So I was really passionate about that. And then thinking back to my military career, the most amount of job satisfaction that I got was helping the folks that reported to me be successful in their careers. So at, at that point, I reached out to the transition program facilitator. Her name is Diane. And I, I asked her, I said, hey, Diane, how do I do what you do? And she literally laid out the roadmap for me. So it sounds like you almost have this Venn diagram of those things that you're passionate about, those things that you're adept at doing, and those things that meet your needs and it sounds like you kind of hit the center of that Venn diagram and started exploring uh, a career path in HR that helps people develop their abilities and transition. Am I accurate in that, that statement? You're, you're absolutely right. And, and the thing is, so one of my friends in high school, he, he has always been an HR professional. So when I was teaching or facilitating the TAP program, I, I did what you just did, right? Which is said, yeah, you know what I do, you know, kind of do, delve in the HR space. But as you mentioned, uh, having then gotten into HR roles, I realized that up until then, I really didn't have any HR experience. So what did you do to offset that? 
so that was so my first job, as I mentioned, when I got out of the military uh, was teaching the TAP program. So the way that that came to be, Chris, is Diane had told me to start volunteering with the, uh, the Fleet and Family Support Center uh, Career Center. So started doing that. And that's where I realized that I, I, you know, I didn't have a professional wardrobe. I had a wardrobe if, you know, suits that I wore to church or maybe some of, the, some of the Christmas parties, but I did not have a business professional wardrobe. So that was a reality check for me. Um, so volunteered over the course of two years and was finishing up my undergrad and doing a study abroad in Argentina uh, when one of the staff members at the transition program actually put in their notice. And uh, via live chat, the admin person reached out to me and said, hey, Sultan, such and such just put in their notice. You're going to apply for that position, aren't you? And of course, I said yes. I still had to interview. And the hiring manager at the time, who was later my supervisor, asked me the question, Chris, uh, why should I, why should we hire you? I said, well, I know how to open up the building in the morning, turn on all of the computers and get the classrooms ready from day one. So that's what really got me the opportunity um, at, at TAP. And then that's where I just mentioned, I realized that I was reading a lot of career books, getting a lot of third or secondhand accounts of successful practices, but I did not have any real world HR experience. And fortunately, a third party firm, Orion Talent, uh, they were looking for someone to join their team as a long way out recruiter. And, um, you know, that's where I made that next leap into the industry, the non-DOD industry, to get a chance to see what those employers were looking for in terms of military talent, but more importantly, what type of talent they were willing to pay for. So it sounds like you were able to get a completely different exposure that enhanced your knowledge of what HR really meant outside of the military. Absolutely. You know, why were certain pay grades, ranks, backgrounds, geographic locations, uh, you know, sought after? Were there any aha moments you had when you were at Orion International? And then what did you do after you worked for them? So the aha moment was how a lot of uh, us, when we are transitioning out of the military, we, we say no to opportunities that we have zero idea what we're saying no to. So let me explain. I may have somebody that might have an engineering background. They're down there in the ship, maybe working on a plant in coveralls covered with grease and want to make a total career change, say, hey, listen, I don't want to do that anymore. But the major reason that they want to make that career change is because they don't want to be in a hot space and coveralls covered in grease and not realize that there are opportunities where they can use that same existing skill set in a much different capacity. Uh, maybe they are now using those skill sets that they learned as an engineer, but they're in a polo shirt with some slacks looking at some instrumentation in a clean room uh, and not having to deal with the temperature or the grease at all. So that was a really big aha moment. The other thing was uh, that companies really operate similarly to the military. 
in terms of there's a sweet spot of talent out there that companies are looking for in terms of military talent uh, that's very similar to the types of talent that military folks uh, recruit from the civilian sector. So those were two real aha moments for me. Uh, and then so did the, uh, the tour, for lack of a better word, at, at Orion. Uh, so did a lot of third party or independent recruiting. And then uh, I had the chance to join a small local employer here in Hampton Roads of about 24,000 employees called Newport News Shipbuilding. They're a division of Huntington Ingalls Industries, uh, building their military and military spouse hiring program from the ground up. Yeah, small. <laughs> <laughs> Not exactly small. I noticed that you have yeah. one of your one of your call out accomplishments, and I think it's it's pretty profound. Uh, is the work that you did in order to kind of revamp their military hiring program and veterans employee resource group, uh, ultimately resulting in in having Newport News Shipbuilding being named the top ten out of one hundred companies. Uh, in the 2018 Military Times Best for Vets Employers. That's pretty significant considering how many, uh, how many vet-friendly companies there are in the Hampton Roads area. Uh, quite an accomplishment. What were, what were some of the highlights of your time with the uh, Newport News shipbuilding? One of the biggest things or biggest challenges, Chris, was... Newport News Shipbuilding, an employer of that size, it's a small city. And being a small city, there are a lot of different roles that someone coming out of the military would be a good fit for. What we had to do was figure out which departments had the appetite for hiring our military spouses and veterans and which job titles they hired those folks into. And then on the back end, figure out which branches of services, pay grades, officer versus enlisted were the ideal candidates for that role. So when we would then do our outreach, if I'm at Langley Air Force Base and I know that we've hired a lot of their folks to be procurement analysts or otherwise known as buyers, I could put that job title out there so those folks with that background could not only just apply to that position, but have a really higher percentage uh, of chance of getting hired into those roles. Uh, on the back end, making sure that we weren't just military friendly, Chris, but we were military ready. So that means that during the onboarding process, uh, did we have mentorship uh, you know, processes in play to connect our military community to those existing employees? And in our branding efforts, were we kind of branding ourselves? Were somebody looking at a printed ad or a billboard could identify uh, the shipyard as being a, an employer of choice. So there were a lot of different moving pieces in there. And and now that I've heard you describe it, it makes it makes a lot of sense to me why you're at where you are now. Um, whether it was when you were in Orion, understanding how to articulate what some may call soft skills that an individual developed in the military and translate them to something in the civilian sector to what you did for on the other side, a private organization or a, you know, a shipbuilding company and how they were able to leverage that talent to meet their human resource needs, their talent needs 
to accomplish what it is that they accomplish, plus understand all the stakeholders involved in that process. To me, it, it makes sense on how you how your your career progression led you to where you are today. And maybe if you could tell our listeners what it is that you do today and uh, and, and where you're working. Gotcha. So I am quite for so this this is my I, I guess you would call it my fourth dream job, Chris. Uh, so I get the privilege of working with the team here at the Hampton Roads Workforce Council as the director for both of our veterans employment centers. Now, I always say that the name of our centers is deceiving because at the veteran employment centers, we actually serve military spouses, student veterans, that is those folks that are going back to school using that the, that 9-11 GI Bill, transitioning service members, and anyone who has served uh, regardless of discharge status. And our objective is pretty simple. In Hampton Roads, we have five thriving industries, uh, which include maritime, of course, which includes uh, offshore wind, wind energy, the ports, et cetera. We have an advanced manufacturing industry. We have a cyber and IT industry, uh, healthcare and biotech, as well as logistics and warehousing. So our job at the Workforce Council is connecting our military community to those opportunities. And if there is a gap in skill set, providing that training. So if you are a transitioning service member or a military spouse in this region, you're eligible for up to $8,000 worth of training funding. So if there is a gap between your existing skill set and getting into that particular industry, we can shore up that difference uh, and get you trained to enter those industries. Perhaps you could describe like, how is it somebody that's preparing to transition and wants to be able to, is trying to figure out where their skills gap is at and they want to stay local, what should they do? The first thing that they should do uh, within, I mean, if they're already in Hampton Roads or heck, you know what? I don't mind being in an area that doesn't get too hot during the summer, too cold during the winter, has uh, the beaches, and two hours later, I could be in the mountains. They could go to hrvetswork.org, which is our website, and start learning about what our centers do. Uh, Our centers, Chris, essentially at the end of the day, we connect those vetted partners uh, in the employment, education, entrepreneurial, and supportive services deals, direct connections with our military community. So for example, every single Tuesday, Chris, we have guaranteed informational or actual job interviews at our centers. Uh, Our companies, when they come in, it's a very different dynamic than a job fair. First of all, they have office space. So it's not like they're stuck at a table waiting to talk to you and 50 other people behind you. Uh, The conversations that tend to happen here are anywhere between 25 to 35 minutes. And it's through those conversations, Chris, where you may learn, hey, listen, here's where I am at. Here's my skill set. Here's my education level. And here's what some things that I can do to make myself even more competitive when I'm in the hiring window. Or uh, if they are in a hiring window, be a referral instead of an applicant. Uh, some unintended and pleasant surprises. So every single Thursday, we have, you know, skill bridge programs, apprenticeships, and a few uh, higher education 
uh, folks that spend the day with us. Well, if you come in on that Thursday and somebody pitches their, let's say it's a graduate uh, degree program, what we tell our professional, well, our military community is, hey, before you commit to that program, come in and talk to an employer on the Tuesday and ask them if that program does anything for you professionally. So now we've created a live feedback loop with those employers and the education uh, providers. Because some of the education providers, what they will do is get the employers that hire their graduates to be in our employer rotation. So now they don't even really have to promote their programs. They can say, hey, listen, don't take my word for it. Uh, there's going to be a company here on Tuesday that hire our grads. So it's a win-win. It's like you're creating the forum in which there isn't this cold exchange of submit your resume on a job board or some other automated system and and on the on the opposite end the employers just looking at a piece of paper they're not really getting to interact with the individual that submitted it you're creating a forum where there is actually some good dialogue and interaction where learning occurs on both ends absolutely at the end of the day chris you know 90% of your transition success is determined by who you know and the other 10% is your ability to follow up so what we do at our centers is to make that organic, deep level relationship where you're not just Chris, who I met at this, you know, this event. I now know you. I know your background. I know whether you're a good fit for my company or if I know you well enough, I know that when I have a conversation with maybe one of my other recruiters in the area, that your name is on the top of my mind. I, I, yeah, it sounds like it, it's cracking the code on being able to network too. I mean, you're making it very easy for service members, uh, spouses, and veterans to be able to do that because you're, you're setting the stage for them. Absolutely. Uh, you know, the, I would say there's no excuses, right? So as you do an audit of your calendar, if you strategically said, hey, I am going to dedicate a lunch hour once per week go on to our center. So we actually have two centers in Hampton Roads. One is on the peninsula uh, in Newport News. One is in, uh, on the south side, which is in Norfolk, Virginia. So if you dedicated your lunch hour and came to our Newport News location where we have four employers every single Tuesday, at the end of the month, Chris, you've expanded your professional network by 16, not just employers, but 16 people who are internal to those companies. Just think about that for a minute. Hmm. It's eating the elephant one bite at a time, right? And making the commitment to just network one, like you said, if it's that one hour during your lunch on one day out of the week or being strategic with your time, you grow the ink blot of the number of individuals that you get to know who may ultimately be the individual representing the company that's going to give you a warm introduction and ultimately take you on as their new employee. Absolutely. So there are two paths that you can take as a military professional, Chris. You can be uh, an applicant or you can be a referral. And here's how the numbers pan out. If you have, if you dedicated all your time and effort into creating the best customized resume on a planet, you've got a one in 250 chance of getting hired that way. And that's applying for a position that you are qualified for. 
Uh, if you know a recruiter and that recruiter knows you, then your odds go from one in 250 to one in 50. Because that recruiter can now guarantee that when they forward those top 10 or 15 candidates that you're included in that pile. So one in 50 is a whole heck of a lot better than one in 250. <laughs> if you are an actual referral, that is somebody in that department knows you, you know them, uh, your odds go from one in 50 to one in 12. Because that person is now your internal advocate. They are telling that hiring manager, hey, listen, you know what? There's this guy, Chris. I know that he's a little bit outside of the box in terms of what we typically hire, but I am vouching for him personally. I know he can do the job and be a great addition to the team. Uh, if you know someone who's a hiring decision maker, your odds go from one in 12 to one in five. So I generally tell our military professionals, do an audit of your network. You should have two networks at all times. You should have a personal network. These are your fellow service members, your family members, et cetera. Uh, but you should also have a professional network, Chris. And uh, your professional network is designed to do one of two things. They could either hire you directly because they are a hiring decision maker, or they can put you directly in front of someone who hires. If when you do that audit, you're like, man, Sultan, I don't know anyone like that. That's okay. Because now you just have a baseline in which you have to intentionally grow. Well, that's great insider guidance. And it makes sense to me. It's being very methodical about how you grow that network. And I would imagine while you serve the Hampton Roads area, the Hampton Roads Workforce Council is a, it's a conglomeration of business leaders that recognize that establishing a partnership between, or the linkage between military organizations and the companies that will hire the talent that exit military service, whether they retire or they're before they hit mid-career, they transition out, that it is a win-win scenario. I would imagine that if you're listening to this and you're not necessarily in the Hampton Roads area, and maybe you just like being really cold or really hot, <laughs> that... <laughs> There are going to be similar types of organizations that that provide maybe similar services that that you just have to take the time to seek out. I, I, am I right in that? Uh, yeah, I mean, in terms of the Veterans Employment Centers and Workforce Council, we're a little bit unique, uh, you know, in terms of what we actually do. But to your point, Chris, there are some. Uh, some states and some regions that are doing that very well. Uh, Fairfax Economic Development uh, up in Northern Virginia is doing that really well. There is um, there's another entity in Wisconsin, Washington State, I believe San Antonio has a really good consortium down there. But to your point, there are uh, folks that are doing some really amazing things. And the best way to find out about that is, you know, just kind of cruise social media, see where those folks are who are true champions of the cause. Where are they located and, and pick one that's in a location that's close to you? The TTPs that you discussed on growing the network, it doesn't, that, that is not geographically specific. That is a methodology that could be applied in anywhere. And the Hampton Roads Veteran Employment Centers and the Hampton Roads Workforce Council specifically create the environment to do just that. I want, I want to change a little bit. I know we talked about where what the Hampton Roads Veteran Employment Centers do, but I want to call attention to our listeners to an article that you wrote. 
And it, it and I think it was published either in 2014 or 2016, but the article you wrote went viral on Business Insider, probably because of not only the catchy title, but the very useful information that you presented uh, for those. And if you, I'm not going to, we're not going to talk about the whole article listeners. If you, if you want to know the whole thing, we're going to post a link to the publication in the episode notes, but the title of the article was thank you for your military service. Now here are the nine reasons why I won't hire you. <laughs> Very catchy <laughs> and provocative. Uh, what, what led you to write that article and maybe the, the genesis of it. And if you could also maybe share not, not all, but maybe some of the points that you think really stand out. Gotcha, Chris. So, so that article was authored as I looked at myself in the uniform, uh, as a military candidate recruiter. So I looked at my prior self when I was still on active duty and I had, uh, you know, these preconceived notions of what value and, and for value, I, I put it in, in ear quotes here, uh, that I brought to the table that an employer would be doing backflips and have the privilege of hiring me as a veteran. So that's where the origins of the article came to, because I realized, you know, as I got into life on this side of the uniform, how naive I was, because just like a lot of us do on active duty, uh, we get a lot of our post-military career advice from folks who are still serving. Right. So you think about that for a minute. I'm getting all of my advice on how to become a, a, a successful civilian by folks who are still on active duty. So that's not the best source of information. So that's where the source of the article came from. Um, one thing that, that, that really jumped out at me, and I mentioned it, the, the naivete of thinking, okay, I've done 20 years of military service. I've got all this leadership and management experience. Uh, I've been taught in certain transition classes that I am a uh, operation manager, COO, CEO equivalent. And the best way, and this is the first part of the article uh, there, Chris, which is how would you feel if you were a commanding officer, right? Uh, installation commander, maybe you're an 06 or an E9, and somebody who had 20 or 30 years of executive civilian experience came in off the street, the military chose to promote them instead of promoting you, and now they're in charge of you, and you have to tell them how to wear their uniform. <laughs> the same dynamics of play. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And it's not even going from military to civilian or civilian to military, Chris, because if I've got a commanding officer of a guided missile destroyer and, and this is a Navy captain, Navy 06, and I take an Army 06 colonel and put him on that destroyer, you and I both know that even though they're the same rank, uh, that colonel isn't set up for success in taking uh, c command of that destroyer. So there's a harsh reality that a lot of us have to face is that, no, um, there are some sectors into where our years of experience translate into, and there are some sectors that you have to have that civilian experience. So that's one of the, that's, that's like probably the primary point, number one, right off the gate. Uh, a lot of us think that when we transition, we're like the only ones, and we don't realize that every single day 
at least two to 300 folks exit the military. So even the 10% rule, uh, when somebody tells me, Sultan, when I've got a unique skill set, 10% of 200 is 20. Hey, congratulations there, sir or ma'am. But there are 20 other people who are just like you. Uh, that's your competition. And that's not your only competition because you're also competing against the folks who got out the day before, the day after you, and existing professionals within that organization. And then third, but not, la- you know, a third one that I would, uh, you know, it's a little bit silly, but I can't stress it enough. They did not proofread their resume. You know, there the one word that spell check will not catch, Chris, is manger. <laughs> no, <laughs> I can't tell you the amount of times that I've seen some experienced mangers out there. Um, now, I, I always kind of wore the hat of not only recruiter, but also kind of counselor. So there were some times when, you know, I would call somebody up and say, hey, listen, did you know that this is on your resume? And they're like, oh, no, they're you know, turn red in the face or get really, really embarrassed. But yeah, d- have somebody else look at your resume. Um, and more importantly, don't pay anyone uh, to do your resume uh, because with the resources that are available to our military community, there are lots of, you know, other, you know, folks who can help you in that process. That's good to know because I know that there are some services that you'll see advertised for resume development and they can be pretty costly. On a different note, how has the use of social media platforms changed over the last five to 10 years and and how relevant are those platforms today when it comes to trying to market yourself or make a connection with employer, ultimately land, land the job in the career that you want post-military? Gotcha. Um, so great question. The first word in social media is the word social, Chris. And as long as you remember that. So your, your, your challenge and North Star as you transition is to build authentic relationships. And the best way of doing that is building social capital figuring out ways how you can help others get connected or helping them through your expertise. So that's the first principle that I want us to really kind of always keep in the back of our mind, because a lot of us kind of fall victim to the military discount culture, which is very, very transactional, right? What can you do for me? Are you offering a military discount? If not, I'm going to take my business elsewhere. So while we're on active duty, a lot of our relationships tend to be a lot more transactional as opposed to building social capital. So back to the original question on how social media allows us to do this. Well, through social media, uh, it's never been easier to connect with folks that work at your target list of companies in positions that you would really like to connect with them at. So for example, I know that everybody understands the importance of LinkedIn and, you know, that's grown immensely, probably in my 13 years uh, on this side of the uniform. So uh, you don't even have to really convince folks now why they should get onto LinkedIn. But let's talk about some of the other social media channels that are often overlooked, primarily Twitter. So we all know Twitter has a very negative stereotype because a lot of folks on there, for for the lack of a better term, have diarrhea of the mouth. However, If I was looking, if I were interested in an opportunity at Comcast uh, Universal, I could go on there 
Chris, and I can find people, and I know that several of their senior vice presidents are on Twitter, and I can, you know, look for those folks, take a look at the information that they share, interact with that person on Twitter, and now they know, they start becoming warm to you, they know who you are, you then look them up on LinkedIn, and because they already know you from Twitter, when you send them a connection request on LinkedIn, it's not a cold connection. And then you can move that. So, so the new school technologies does not replace old school uh, techniques. So the objective, Chris, is to start leveraging social media to move the conversation to the phone. And then ultimately move the conversation from the phone or a virtual meeting to an in-person meeting. So there are no excuses, my friend, why you could not create a powerful network internally within, the, within a company uh, using social media. Wow. I'm hesitant to really leverage my, my Twitter account. I have one. I haven't really used it. But now you've given me an idea on how it can be very valuable in establishing a network and, uh, and, and essentially starting the conversation and ultimately moving it along to something more personal and interactive. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then uh, there are two, I, I would not call them social media sites, but there are two tools, Chris, that are invaluable as not only if you decide to ultimately transition, but maybe you're on the fence whether you do uh, hang up the uniform or not. Uh, the first is American Corporate Partners. So American Corporate Partners, one-year program, they pair you up with a C-level executive. 85% of their mentors have zero military experience. So it forces you really to have a conversation with a regular, quote-unquote, civilian uh, to talk about your career aspirations uh, on an ongoing uh, basis. Not only that, but they also provide resume assistance as well. So that is a, a one-year program. The other platform out there is Veterati. And Veterati is very transactional. So pretty much all of their mentors are military spouses or veterans. They've made themselves available as mentors. So you could go in there, uh, look for veterans or military spouses that work at maybe one of your target list of companies and schedule a one-hour conversation with them. And the cool thing about Veterati that I like, Chris, is that the end of that mentorship call, uh, they will ask that mentor, hey, based on the conversation that you had with Chris, who are some other mentors that you re recommend that Chris connects with? So those are two tools that I definitely wanted to make sure that our listeners were aware of. Well, thank you for sharing that. And maybe we'll include that information in the episode notes as well. I've, I've asked quite a few questions. Alexandra, do you have any questions? Oh my God, I have so many questions, but I don't want to take up all of our time. But I do want to kind of go back. You mentioned something about there's a sweet spot for companies right now to hire vets. I wanted to get an understanding of what that sweet spot is or what you meant by that. So the sweet spot is finding those companies, Alexandra, that have already hired veterans and military spouses, and they see the value that our community brings to the table and are intentional and strategic in developing a military talent pipeline. I see a lot of threads and posts uh, saying, hey, listen, 
employers need to be able to translate military resumes, et cetera, et cetera. And my pushback to that is, why are you convincing an employer to do this? Uh, one thing that, that, that I've learned through the years is ducks tend to pick ducks. So find those companies that provide a warm welcome, understand our value, uh, and then putting those at the highest priority. So there's that sweet spot of they understand what the military community brings to the table. They've incorporated that into their business model. And then from the military community's standpoint is don't swim or in lack of a better term, don't languish in the ocean of goodwill. Find those companies. So don't waste your time personalizing your resume, applying to a company that does not have a history in hiring our military community. Because essentially, at best, you're going to get a courtesy interview. And very rarely are you actually going to get a job offer uh, from a company like that. Mm. And what happens if somebody wants to look for a role in a company and they're not using another service to help place them and they're doing it kind of on their own? What Are there any mm -hmm. tags or any notifying um, words that people put in their job descriptions that they should try to look for to actually know that they are people that have the experience of hiring military veterans? A great question, Alexandra. So what I recommend folks do is use LinkedIn the same way that you would use your smartphone when you're searching for a Cajun seafood restaurant, right? LinkedIn has over 700 million profiles on that thing in a search bar. So start putting in keywords from your existing background. So if I'm a Navy uh, senior chief or lieutenant commander, I'm going to literally go into the search bar, type in Navy Lieutenant Commander, hit search. And then if I have a geographic area of preference, I'm going to use the filters to find people who have those keywords in their backgrounds, Alexandra. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to pay attention to the folks who have already gotten out. So mm -hmm. not only can I figure out which companies have the appetite for hiring that Navy 04, but I can look at the candidates, maybe they're a supply corps type, maybe they're a surface warfare officer, and more importantly, what job title did they hire that person into? And subsequently, how has their career progression been since they have been hired? Because hmm. some of us, you know, when we hang up the uniform after a career, we may have to take a step back. But what you want to find out is, okay, if I take that step back, uh, is there the ability for... Uh, rapid career growth where I can kind of, you know, catch up. So that's the way that you can really find those companies that have hired uh, veterans. If you're a military spouse, use words like key spouse, for example, if you're in the Air Force, ombudsman, uh, family readiness group, those words that our military spouses would use, and then find those military spouses that are already employed at those companies. Understood. So it's more of looking at the people that are already in that company um, and figuring out what their placement has been in their progression. And then that gives you the clue that that company has been open to hiring veterans. Yep. And you know, well, that gives you the target job title, right? So now you know which job title to actually apply to uh, that that company has had a pattern of hiring people like you into that role. But it also helps you with the salary piece because mm -hmm. you know that another E8, E5, O three would not accept that position unless it made financial sense. That actually leads me to another question that I had, 
if somebody is just transitioning out and they're trying to figure out what they want to do next and they're going through the steps, you know, you made a, a, a comment about, you know, not really knowing what the salary differences are from being in the military to going into the civilian world and to the workforce. What would you suggest for people as far as like budgeting or knowing or what to expect going into this or how they should plan their transition time? What would you suggest for that? Uh, no substitute for conversations Alexandra. Uh, what I recommend that folks do is use Veterati specifically, or maybe even LinkedIn. Find folks who have moved on from that particular position that you know you're a great fit for. Reach out to them and ask them, hey, listen, if you were in my shoes going into that position at that company, what should I realistically be looking for? And have that person give you the salary information. Mm. Yeah, I, I know in New York, they're making it um, a law now that you have to post what the salary range is for the roles that they're posting in the state. So I'm not too mm-hmm. sure what other states are doing that. So at least, you know, in those job descriptions, you can kind of see what that salary expectation can be, uh, depending on your experience. Um, I did have one last question. Uh, what, if there are, what behaviors uh have you noticed are the hardest for service members to either change, rejigger, um, maybe rearrange to be a, I hate to say, but we use it a lot, the quote on culture fit in the civilian mm-hmm. workforce. Have you noticed any different behaviors that needed that? Wow. I, I think the key takeaway, key one that I would identify, Alexandra, would be there's a fine line between being confident and being cocky. Mm. Uh, you know, you don't want to create a proverbial boogeyman by having that sense of entitlement that, you know what, uh, I these folks are fortunate to bring me on board as a hire. So you definitely want to be able to, you know, bring that discussion to the table on the value that you can add, but you don't want to go over to the top where you're perceived as being cocky. And that's something that I had seen, you know, uh, enough times to to make mention of it during this uh, this conversation. Mm. No, that's a good one. I have more, but I'm going to keep it right there. <laughs> For our listeners, how can they find you, Sultan, if they have other questions that we didn't cover, or they want more information about the Hampton Roads Workforce Council or the Veterans Employment Centers? Feel free to connect with me on my social media platforms, uh, primarily LinkedIn, Sultan, Camp. Uh, Make sure that you send a connection request because LinkedIn has you do this follow thing, which I'm not a really good fan of. Just personalize the invite, say, hey, listen, Sultan, you bored us to death during the podcast. I'll be happy (laughs) to accept those. Uh, Also on Twitter, I am on there as uh, Career Sultan. That's definitely a way that you can connect with me as well. Uh, the Hampton Roads Workforce Council, of course, uh, you can connect with us on Instagram or at our website at hrvetswork.org. And uh, that, that's those are the primary ways. Thank you very much, Sultan. Any saved rounds you'd like to leave for our listeners? You know, I know that it can be intimidating. It can be challenging. However, persistence and accountability are the key. Find you someone to help keep you accountable. Focus on building those relationships and the rest will take care of itself. And thank you. What a great closing. Sultan, thank you very much for your time. 
And I, I look forward to uh, our future conversations as well. Same here, Chris. It's been a pleasure and pleasure to meet you again, Alexandra. Wonderful meeting you. And Sultan Camp has left our virtual studio. Sis, any final thoughts? Listeners have to read this article. They have to read this article. It's laid out so simple, black and white, very straightforward. Here are nine things that you really need to know and pay attention to. And it's not just for service members. This is also for people that are actually in the workforce right now. They could use a refresher because I read this and I went straight to my LinkedIn and I made sure that that was a little bit shaped up a little bit more. I went into my resume and thought, oh, this is too long. And I had to shorten it. And I mean, it's just, it's it's so good to have something so simply laid out um, for people to read, to know basically what is the first step and what do I need to pay attention to? I had the same thoughts when I was looking at Sultan Camp's LinkedIn profile and I'm like, oh, that's what it should look like. And then <laughs> after reading the article and seeing his, I'm looking at my sad, sorry excuse for a profile and I'm like, oh yeah, I've got work to do. And yeah. now I think my takeaway is, is unfortunately I've got to get a Twitter account. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't have a Twitter account. I definitely need one too. And it's good to know that on the HR side, I know that sometimes um, recruiters actually take your LinkedIn profile and download it as your resume. So you can attach your resume in your LinkedIn profile and they can download it that way as well. But sometimes they just download your entire LinkedIn profile. So it's good to know that you need to make sure that your profile is looking just as good as a resume would. Yeah. And I think for us and some of the TTPs I, I've heard others use, we have to pull down all of our performance evaluations, all of our performance appraisals, and kind of go through and summarize what it is that we did. Um, that was one of the lessons learned from the earlier episode and just apply it to our LinkedIn, our LinkedIn profiles. Yep, exactly. Well, this wraps up another great conversation. Uh, and if you're listening to us right now, thank you for being our listener. You stuck through the whole episode. <laughs> so you're our <laughs> biggest supporters. And if you're interested in supporting this podcast uh, and this is your first episode, please follow New Mission Career Transition on Spotify, iHeartRadio, or any of the other podcast applications. You can follow us on Instagram at New Mission CT. That's New Mission Charlie Tango. We would also love to hear your feedback. You can DM us on Instagram or send us an email to our address, newmissionct at gmail.com. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. If you're preparing for your own transition, well, know that I'm right there with you. So until next time, stay focused.